giant again you are now listening to the city image podcast i hope you guys are having a very blessed christmas season wishing every one of you a happy new year get your new year's resolutions ready we're about to take over 2019 we doing it y'all blessings upon blessings i'm very happy this episode because uh i'm so thankful to have had a special guest that was able to record a phone conversation with a friend of mine her name is karen ellis karen is currently doing phd work in the area of missions and i wanted her on the show to talk about the recent controversy surrounding missionary john allen chow and his work with the north sentinel lee's people and how he was martyred there there were so many opinions and think pieces and a lot of people looked at what he did as imperialism, as colonialism. And as a black Christian, I thought it was very important to wrestle with those issues. So I thought I'd find an expert. And lo and behold, I knew one. So I brought her on the show. So was able to have a phone conversation with her. That interview is coming up next. Please stay tuned. You are now listening to the City Image Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for inviting me on, Bryant. Um, yeah. It's Glad good to, to talk you. to you because yeah. I, mean, I, I feel like I haven't seen you since graduation from Westminster. I know. <laughs> I know. We, we, we're we're in need of a social media, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're in bad need of a, a, a re, um, re what, what is that word? Uh, Reconnection? <laughs> yeah. yeah, something like that. Something we like need that. that. But I appreciate you bringing me on. Um, yeah. uh, you know, since graduation at Westminster in 2012 for me, I've been um, focusing on pretty much the same track that I was on since I became a Christian 25, 26 years ago, which was um, uh, ministering primarily as an advocate to the persecuted church, but, you know, being involved in missions and uh, missiology. Uh, Right now I'm working on a PhD in virtue ethics, and um, I'm under the direction of wonderful ethicist named Stanley Hauerwas who challenges me and allows me to challenge him back. And I'm learning a lot. Uh, but I'm looking in particular at the, at the, uh, at, uh, the concept of Christian perseverance as a virtue and mm. what makes Christians persevere under hostile circumstances. So that's the, that's the focus of my PhD work. And, uh, of course there's a lot of, um, uh, there's probably, I think the numbers are 75% of the world's Christians live under some form of uh, anti-Christian hostility, uh, you know, ranging from cultural pressure or cultural disdain all the way to um, outright torture and murder and execution and martyrdom. 
Um, so 75%. So you and I are the 25% since we live that's with crazy. relative religious freedom. Yeah, but that's yeah. three three out of every four Christians in the world are living under hostile conditions. So there's a lot of, regrettably, there's a lot to explore and research and mine and a lot of different ways to um, understand how our brothers and sisters are persevering. Um, mm. Unfortunately, just like poverty, the Lord told us, you know, in this world you will have trouble. So persecution, poverty, some things are just always going to be with us. Yeah. Um, in this in this temporal realm. And uh, that's one of the things I would love to be put out of business. I would love to go and mm. do something else. Yeah. And start my own catering business or something that has nothing to do with um, with um, persecution because it's been wiped out. But mm. that's just unrealistic. There are. And uh, so I I spend a lot of time with um, underground leaders and um, understanding their headspace, understanding their philosophy the behaviors behind the things that develop the virtues um, yeah. that enable them to do what they do. That's crazy. Yeah. So <laughs> when you say perseverance as a virtue, can you unpack that just a little bit? What, how sure. would that be seen as a virtue? Right. So if you think about Aristotle's concept of virtues, um, they are generally under a rubric of, I guess, narrative theology, which is where I'm coming at it from, there are different uh, stories and habits that are developed from those stories and identities and um, uh, practices that Mm -hmm. consistently for a particular community, it's not just Christians, you know, everybody has these, uh, develops these sorts of virtues that identify a community as a set apart kind of people. And um, the same is true for Christians under pressure. So what I'm doing is I'm looking in particular at the African-American experience um, Mm. and not just African-Americans, but those who have really been defined by the African-American experience, um, including um, ethical Caucasians, ethical Europeans, I should say, um, ethical um, indigenous Americans who also identified as Christians and how they came together. What habits did they form? Uh, what habits did they have? What practices that they have? What priorities did they have throughout U.S. history that identified them as God's set-apart people, that identifies them as a part of a larger whole of God's set-apart people, all the way from, from Genesis to Revelation, this set-apart people that says we are a particular peculiar group of people who subscribe to a different kind of politics, a different culture. Um, and a different set of, um, circumstances that drives what we do. Wow. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Just quickly. How did you enter into that? Like feel anything prompt you to go into that? Any, <laughs> you know, nice. Brian, it's, it's funny because I don't get. I, I am, a, I am, I call myself the curator of other people's stories. So people don't often ask me how did I end up doing what I do because nobody ever wants to hear my story, right? No, but, <laughs> it's fascinating to me, actually. It's fascinating. Well, I, I, when I became a Christian, it was a, it was a hard stop in my life. It was definitely a one eighty. And I went from, you know, living one particular kind of life with a particular set of assumptions to living a different kind. And so I started inhaling books and the books that fell into my lap had to do with not just Christian mission, but had to do with uh, books about uh, people who were living under uh, the communist system, Christians who were living and and persevering in their faith, particularly because the Iron Curtain, it hadn't been that long since it had fallen. 
Um, and mm. I found myself reading um, Tortured for Christ, Richard Wormbrand and his, his uh, wife's book, um, The Pastor's Wife, Sabina Wormbrand, uh, yeah. who, of course, they found a voice of the martyrs. And then I found myself living uh, off and on for a couple of years in Eastern Europe after the Iron Curtain fell. And so, um, you know, everybody else in my circles was reading like hind speed on high places. And here I was reading tortured for Christ, you know. <laughs> and so but I, I sort of ended up with this very romantic a romanticized vision of what it was like to live under Christian persecution, but it's not like that at all. Um, yeah. So I found the more that I started to work with organizations um, and I uh, started out doing advertising for one in particular called International Christian Response that I ended up on their board. And now I work with them as a consultant. And we basically work with the Christians who want to stay. Um, they don't want to leave their, their yeah. conditions. So we empower them. Um, through uh, through uh, various resources, we empower them to stay where they are, proclaim the gospel. Uh, we do everything from um, uh, church planting to educational centers to um, uh, relief work in war torn zones to um, um, uh, what's it what's it called when you um, when you oh mm. when someone when the husband when the breadwinner of the family is martyred yeah. we take care of the family wow uh, yeah so we do a lot of uh, we do a lot of different uh, approaches to just basically helping people stay where they are to proclaim the gospel that is amazing but yeah it's That's... it's been it's been something I've wanted to, it's been something I've been involved with from my early days as a Christian so and I'm still learning because the circumstances around the world change regions are different from yeah. place to place so I imagine you're um, always studying and always trying to yeah. stay abreast of what's happening it's hard you know I try and focus on particular regions right now one of my um uh, one of my main regions of concern is Iran um, but you know, it's hard to know the, this is why we like to uh, support and empower indigenous leaders and grow them up from the out, inside out, um, is because it takes a Westerner a long time, uh, much longer time to learn the, the culture, to learn the languages, to learn the, um, political dynamics, the cultural dynamics. So if we can raise someone up from the inside in places where Western missionaries can't go, um, that's the that's the optimal situation. Now, can God call a Western missionary into those situations? Absolutely. I am certainly not going to limit what God can and cannot do, what he will and will not do. But yeah. um, it's just in terms of a stewardship issue of stewardship of resources, it's easier to raise up and support people from uh, indigenous leaders from inside. That's good. It's very profound and definitely, is there any way that people maybe can support you in yeah. that? Like, is there any, um, I don't know, organizations, websites or anything that we people can? Bring? Sure. Yeah. If they just go to christianresponse.org, um, mm -hmm. you know, in a lot of the countries where we work, um, uh, you know, a dollar goes a long way. We're one of, we're, our, our agency is unusual in that 93 cents of your dollar goes to the ground. We keep our overhead really low because we're a small stealth organization. Yeah. And, uh, so go to christianresponse.org. You'll see a lot of the places that you read about or hear about in the news mm -hmm. featured on our website. And you can give to specific regions. You can give to specific works. Um, you can support a church planter. You can send a, um, you can send a, a someone to seminary for a minimal amount of money. 
um, wow. educate a pastor. Yeah, it's it's we've we've got a real. I really I love the organization. I'm really committed to it. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely, we'll be praying for you, supporting you in any way that you can. Thank thank you. I'm so glad that God has people in His church doing this work. Mm. Mm. Uh, so I kind of wanted to transition just to um, to some current events. One in particular, uh, I know everyone had saw um, what happened to missionary John Allen Chow and how he went to the North Sentinelese, pronounced That's right. Yeah, that's right. And he had gotten martyred there. And I remember when I first saw an article on it, I was like, this is interesting. And I thought it would go away. But then I just saw, as I think the week went on, there was just so many media outlets picking it up, picking it up. And then think pieces were being written by Christians and non-Christians and I saw a lot of social media comments on it um, from various different um, positions that were being taken on it. Um, And there was a lot of opinions uh, surrounding Mm -hmm. the situation. And I I was kind of shocked that a Christian missionary dying would captivate the nation. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the way to phrase it, because Mm -hmm. in my opinion, I felt like this kind of thing happened all the time. Mm. So what was it about this situation that made the news became mm-hmm. as big as it was? Maybe there was some divine work behind that. God mm-hmm. probably bring, bringing light to the, to the fact that the North Sentinel, these people are where they are probably reinvigorating a need for missions. Cause honestly, to, if I'm honest, I hadn't really thought about mission work mm-hmm. for a long time. And I think sometimes it's good that God kind of shakes the church up and reminds us of these things in, in various ways. But I wanted to get your thoughts as you're a professional. You're, so you studied this um, and reflected on it, especially from uh, an African-American perspective. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So what were your thoughts when you first heard about the whole thing? Like, what, what Right. Well, my uh, to be honest with you, my first thought was, wow. Uh, well, the, the, the information trickled in slowly, right? Yeah. Sure. And so the the first immediate responses, I would say, seventy five percent of the story hadn't been told, mm. and so people were reacting. And unfortunately, you know, it was on the tail end that the details started to come out. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, of course, most I think people, that there there in in and of itself is a right, lesson, by the way. <laughs> right, right. Most people don't know all the details and have yeah. reacted um, the same way that I did. You know, the first thought I thought, what was he doing there by himself? And yeah. so I started thinking about <laughs> I started thinking about um, precedent, um, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people were comparing him to um, to. Uh, uh, Jim Elliot. Yeah. And I, I don't think that, and I, I wondered why nobody brought up Bruce Olson. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bruce Olson. No, I would, I've never. Been, I would have been curious to hear what Bruce Olson has to say. He's an old school missionary. Um, mm-hmm. And he, there's a book about him called Bruchko that um, mm-hmm. was one of the early, again, one of those early books that I read about missions. And uh, it's, it, it takes, you know, his, his, his time of missionary engagement was in the fifties. 
And um, nobody would send him to this Bruce Olson. Nobody would send him on the mission field. And so he struck out on his own, which was the, the impression that we were giving with John Chow, right? Mm-hmm. And so Bruce struck out, struck out on his own, and he went to the Amazon, and he went with no agency's oversight. Now, John mm-hmm. Chow did have an agency's oversight. Yeah. He was sent by um, – what was the name of his, uh, let's see, there's a really good interview if you listen to it on Christianity Today on Quick mm-hmm. to Listen, um, Mary Ho with um, uh, All Nations Missionary mm-hmm. Group. Now, they did send him out, but Bruce Olson went without any oversight, and he lived among the Amazonian people for decades, and he wrote this story of living among the Bari people and wrote about it uh, in in the book Bruchko, and uh, it was through one person that he befriended completely by himself um, in the tribe uh, that he was able to develop a friendship with that person. That's one person. He called him Bobby, but his name, his real name, his full name was Bobarisha. Mm-hmm. And um, he, the, he makes friends with this guy. And he eventually, after several years, like he goes to the wrong tribe at one point, lives with him for five years, realizes it's not the tribe he wants to be with. Then he tries mm-hmm. to get out and they try to kill him. They're like, no, you're not going. So, I mean, there's a, it's, there's a lot oh, of, wow. yeah, yeah. And that's five years on, right? So now mm-hmm. he's into year six. He finally finds the tribe that he's looking for. He becomes friends with one person. Uh, and these people are headhunters. So it's oh, a wow. hostile, they're hostile people towards outsiders he befriends one person in the tribe and that person is the key person who ends up singing their entire history of the tribe for nine hours after he becomes a christian after he understands who christ is and how christ fits into their story Mm. he sings this the history of their tribe for nine hours and was a song of how they knew they were separated from god and he sings about the one that they're waiting for for their whole oral history, no written language. And he concludes with Jesus. And as he understood him in their context as the fulfillment of their oral history. So the entire tribe accepts this song about Jesus and the the song, the, 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 the song spreads among the other Bari villages and at wow. other festivals that they had. And they had been with. singing that what? Centuries before? Centuries. Centuries. Wow. Right. Um, but within months, the, the entire Bari people accepts this contextualized version of Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. And current estimates among missiologists is now that the 70% of the Bari people are now Christians. So, mm-hmm. so okay, but remember, this took, this whole process took decades. Mm-hmm. Decades. Uh, now, there's a lot, there's now to the question of colonization, there's a book that explores that, whether or not Bruce Olson was a missionary or a colonizer. Mm-hmm. And it explores the impulse to help indigenous people adapt to the culture changing around them as they themselves saw fit. And I think mm-hmm. that that's really important. It wasn't an imposition. Bruce mm-hmm. Olson gave them the space to adapt to the way that they thought they should adapt to the rest of the world. And the book mm-hmm. researches Bruce Olson's work and his legacy and the and he interviews the Bari people to determine if it's as altruistic as as Bruce presents it to be in the book Bruchko or if he's a, a conqueror bent on mm-hmm. colonizing these people for his own benefit. Um, as you know, most people who are opposed to colonize colonization claim, right? Yeah. So as Jonathan Chow's story unfolded, it sounded to me a lot like Bruce Olson's story. 
Mm-hmm. Now, we could sit and debate whether or not it's, you know, that's the best way to go. You know, I don't think it's wise personally to go out without support. Right. Right. To go unsupported. But here's the kicker. As the story unfolds, we find out that John Chow was just not, he wasn't just flying by the seat of his pants. Mm -hmm. He had had a heart for this people since he was 18 years old. Mm -hmm. He graduated from college in 2014, and his, he had spent most of his adult life preparing for this mission. It wasn't a spur-of-the-moment decision. Mm-hmm. It had a lot of planning and preparation. He got the um, SIL, which is the gold standard for missionary linguistics. Um, uh, he had a, a degree in, in languages and cultural anthropology from all wow. nations, right? So he was, he was in, by most missiological um, analysis, he was well prepared to go mm-hmm. um, to the issue of disease. He had, been in, he had received all the immunizations in advance of his yeah. trip. And I saw a lot of people saying he could have killed them. And- yeah, he knew that. He had prepared for that. Mm-hmm. He received 13 shots mm-hmm. in advance of his trip and observed the typical period of quarantine before making his trip. Mm. So he did everything he could to minimize risk of disease. That is not, that's not been uh, highlighted in the, the, the major yeah. media at all. Um, and yeah. even, even, it even had some medical training um, to, to, to prepare. So um, there are other questions that I suppose need to be answered. Why did he go alone? That probably all nations um, mm-hmm. In the interview, you know, they go into a lot of depth with the representative from all nations. Yeah. Um, and I, I appreciate the work of Ed Stetzer, um, who wrote in the Washington Post. He waited until all the details were in. And, and there, you know, the, even looking at Bruce Olson, who went without missionary, um, without missionary cover or without the covering yeah. of an agency, even to his point, um, as, the, as his work or the work of um, the indigenous Christians grew among the Bari people in the Amazon, they established their own written language, schools, community health centers, and started to work with the Colombian government to protect their own lands. So to the issue of colonization and the whole headspace of, you know, leave these people alone. They, they, they want to be left alone. And, you know, well, Mm -hmm. Is is that is is that the end of the argument? Is that the end of the discussion? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you have? Do you, I think there's room for debating ethically? Do, do those who have access to uh, things that will create a better flourishing, a, a better life of flourishing for a people, do we have a responsibility to share that, whether it's spiritual or right. material? Yeah, we would certainly say that. Um, of of you know folks who live within our culture, but have you know who are enculturated within our culture, yeah. would certainly say that you know well you can't withhold you know these these benefits of this culture from this group of people. We wouldn't say leave mm-hmm. them alone necessarily if they were doing things that were detrimental to their own health, right? So yeah. I think there's I think there's a lot of room to have those discussions without shutting it down by saying well you know. Um, and there's also the, 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 there also has to be space for Christian people um, understanding that there were Christian missionaries who were not, they did not have the headspace of colonization. 
Yeah. And that has that has been consistent throughout history. And so what mm-hmm. I'm trying to do is trying to find people who have researched, who are willing to research those areas, who um, respect the impulses and the desires of indigenous people who receive Christ. Uh, there are plenty of examples out there. So to sort of look at the entire history of missionary movement as it's only colonization that's yeah. that's intellectually unfair and it's intellectually lazy quite frankly yeah um, i think people when they hear this idea of uh, if we have if we know that there is something that we can bring to these people that will improve their flourishing that at some point that seems almost like a cultural superiority are we saying that we're better than them and you know, there's there's this pluralistic mindset that all all cultures, all value systems are are really equal. And so, for one person to kind of come in and say, "Well, we have a value system where we have cultural or aspects of our culture mm-hmm. that can help you," mm-hmm. that that's seen as some sort of like, you know, we're calling them inferior. Kind well, of thing, I right? think yeah, and and that's where that's where the agency I think of an indigenous people comes in. You know, you the I think a a, a, a healthy impulse for mission, mm-hmm. a healthy missiological impulse allows people to exercise their own agency in mm-hmm. how they develop those those supposed benefits, right? Yeah, or at least it should. You know, people. You know, there's work by folks like Lamansane, um, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote "Whose Religion Is Christianity." Um, uh, there are there are a lot of um, a, a lot of writers outside of the West, uh, and we're hoping we're, we've started something called the Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity at RTS Atlanta, and we're hoping yeah, to highlight. That. Yeah, we're hoping to highlight some of these voices um, as part of the traditional Western curriculum, um, and you know, just sort of looking at um, how others outside the West have approached. Um, not just missiology, but ecclesiology, how people have, and, you know, and all within the bounds of orthodoxy, yeah. um, looking at, looking at what some of these other voices have had to say and hoping to achieve some balance and challenge some of our Western assumptions, both pro and con, you know, yeah. um, because there's, you know, you don't want to swing the pendulum back so far that it negates anything good that, you know, there's, there are benefits and, 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 um, and, um, benefits and, um, uh, um, distortions to be found in everything. So, yeah. 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 So hopefully these, uh, these external voices who see, probably see our history with a little bit more objectivity, Mm -hmm. um, uh, hopefully they'll bring some balance to the picture. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, hidden in a lot of the criticism, and I think, you know, historically, obviously, we, we do have to acknowledge that not every missionary endeavor was done correctly or biblically. And, you know, and when I say that with um, with, with a earnest heart of love and an earnest heart mm-hmm. of wanting to, you know, really just see other people flourish by coming to know God. But I do think um, acknowledging that is one thing. But when we look at a lot of the criticism, I think, coming uh, at this sort of thing, it's, it's really, I think, masking a 
a really a religious pluralism that just doesn't see Christianity as something of value. Like it's not seen as something that really is beneficial. Right. 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 And that's an obvious point. But I think that people when people say things like, we'll just leave them alone, <laughs> like they're fine, like they don't want it. Right. I think that as Christians, as people who believe the gospel, mm-hmm. like we have to be very aware that that essentially is taking the position that people really ultimately don't need Christ. Like they don't right. need to believe the gospel. Like, Yeah. And I think that's I think that's a really important point, and it's one that I think I think it was Al Mohler had an yeah. article where he actually talked not so much about Chow about the Chow situation, but around the how the story unfolded, yeah, and what people's reactions to um, mission work and <clears throat> the, the mandate that the Christian has to go as you are going, make disciples of all nations. Um, the, the reaction to that um, tells us a lot about the temperature of where we are in our, in our own society, in our own culture, um, that there was so much venom. And that's, you know, God has, that God has said from the beginning, he's, he's keeping a people unto himself. Yeah. And, you know, he's going to keep that promise from Genesis to now to Revelation. To glory, um, you know, uh, he will be our God, and we will be His people. You know, and so to the extent that we live that out, um, and I certainly see this in the work that I do every day. To the extent that we live that out, is the extent to which um, we'll experience hostility um, yeah. towards that impulse. You know, and it's there is and there is an offense built into. The gospel. There is an offense built into the Christian life. It's it's mm-hmm. it, into living it, um, living it unto death. And there have been all sorts of aberrations of Christianity that have um, worked against, worked against um, that you know that actually have contributed to the hostility. Yeah. You know, um, I, I know that there are choices that I've made on a personal level in my own life, not just even, you know, bringing it down from the communal level. There were choices where I've been, I've been like, man, that was, I left a bad witness there. That wasn't yeah. very good, you yeah, know. For sure. um, but at the same time, um, there has, there has to be, that's really where the rubber is going to meet the road, I think, is in um, living this other cultural, other political other communal reality that we are we're that we subscribe to a different set of values and virtues um that makes us behave differently uh that that makes it difficult to put us in any categories or any of the world's boxes um and it is you know it i think that the the response the, the 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 backlash to mission and the sharing of the gospel and the intent to you know jonathan chow um, he, he knew the danger he was going into Yeah, and he, and he, but in, I mean, I haven't read all of his papers. Uh, I know that they've been published actually in his hand on Washington, uh, Washington post and also on a daily mail, um, in UK. Um, but you know, he's really just talking about reaching them with the gospel. He doesn't say anything about, gee, we're going to build this, this system mm. and we're going to have this shelter and we're going <laughs> to do this educational program. They're, they're in such he's, dire need. Of, he's, like, yeah. he's really just talking about, yeah. I just want them to know who Jesus is. 
Right. And there's there's no there's, so what what does that mean for us as Christians as we move forward um, as yeah. we divorce ourselves from political ideologies, yeah, from philosophical mm. ideologies, from <laughs> cultural. And, yeah. and and ethnocentrism as we begin to divorce ourselves from that, um, yeah. we're going to look weird. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to fit yeah. in anybody's box. And so I think um, I think uh, uh, you, both you and Dr. Moeller, are right in saying that this whole experience, while it has a lot to teach us missiologically, I think it has a lot to teach us culturally. It acts as a canary in the mine. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like as I was reading his story, I had to check myself because I think your reaction was similar to mine, similar to a lot of people's like, what is he doing out there? Yeah. And then there was this sense of embarrassment, this sense of like, oh gosh, now this is spreading everywhere. Christians, we look stupid. He just looks like this crazy guy that just wanted to go out and talk about Jesus. And really, as you begin to, again, like you said, you hear the facts, you hear the the, the amount of um, thought that went into this. Why did we jump to that conclusion? Why did right. we? Why were we so willing to? Like we were so afraid to look foolish, yeah. right? Yeah. I, it, it just struck me as how we have become so brainwashed by mm. a culture that expects us to like Christianity. You know, you keep it to yourself. You go to church, yeah. that's great. Yeah. If you want to have the occasional conversation over coffee, that's great. <laughs> you know, right, right. Don't right. don't do anything radical like going to a different country and you know, it it just had it it was it, it jarred me into realizing how comfortable my Christianity had become. Mm, mm. You know? Um yeah. you any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, you know, that's a really that's a it's a challenge for all of us, isn't it? Because yeah. it's sort of like it's sort of like watching a train wreck. You know what I mean? You want to look away, but you don't. You know, yeah. uh, I think even as Brother Chow's story unfolds, um, uh, there are going to be Christians who lionize him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, lionize his story without mm-hmm. looking at it, without assessing it critically, and there yeah. are going to be those those who hate Christianity are going to demonize him. without assessing his story critically. Um, But I think um, like all high-risk mission stories, and there are a lot of them, um, this one can serve to inspire those of us who are willing to look at it um, with a critical eye. But it also serves as a cautionary tale for all of us um, who work under these kinds of conditions and and for those who don't. um, They serve, I think, as a reminder of something that I hear constantly from the underground, and that's we're not the hero of the story. Mm. And we want to, I think part of that impulse of, um, of, you know, being embarrassed or being, oh, you know, I can't believe, is that we, we have that desire to be the hero that's accepted by everybody, the kind of Christian that's the acceptable Christian. That's so true. And (laughs) that's so true. Jesus wasn't an acceptable, he was an acceptable guy. Oh my gosh. On so many levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not the hero of the story. I expect, mm-hmm. I suspect that every martyr in history would no doubt say from their feet, from their seat at the feet of Jesus throne, that mm-hmm. he alone is the hero of the story. That's he's good. the center of the story. And he's the only one who can make sense of the events of our world. He's the only one yeah. who can make sense of 
um, the ills and the evils of, of colonization and all that has sprung from that. He's the only yeah. one who can redeem the events of our sin sick world. And yeah. so, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I think that, um, that has driven me back to that. It's like in life and in death, I don't want any other hero mentioned, but Christ. And I know, mm. I know that in this world, I will not be regarded as the hero. Mm. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Um, and really so, yeah. and truly, Jesus said that we're not going to be greater than him. And if they rejected him, right. <laughs> they're going to reject right. us. Right. You know, Christ himself was, I think sometimes we want to be treated better than Christ was. Mm. <laughs> Jesus was rejected right. thoroughly, and but we want to be accepted. And yeah. there's this, and I think I fall into that trap. One of the things I love doing is trying to make Christianity seem as rational and as palpable as it can be to the unbelieving mind and that's fine apologetics is great and we, we do that without trying to compromise the gospel but there is a sense in which we have to acknowledge that at some point you're going to look crazy and, right. and stupid and dumb if you're really going to follow jesus's commands yeah you, you have to be willing to look that way have you seen the letter from pastor wang yi recently Mm-mm-mm. it's been circulating okay um he oh, I think I did in, in, in oh China. Oh my gosh! Yes, yes, I did so see that. I'm sorry. He wrote yes, this letter before he wrote this letter in case he was incarcerated, mm-hmm. and he disappeared. And now the mm-hmm. letter they've um, they have it was translated by um, a fellow named Brent Pinkhall and Amy Chung. They translated the letter, uh, and he talks about the necessity of faithful disobedience and how Mm. it's distinct from political activism or civil disobedience and how Christians should carry it out. You got to go and reread that letter because Mm. I feel like this is a message for, I feel like this is a message for the church in America. Mm -hmm. He makes great distinctions between political activism civil Mm -hmm. disobedience and faithful disobedience. And he says, uh, I'll just read a real quick little section of it to wrap up. He says, um, as a pastor, my firm belief in the gospel, my teaching and my rebuking of all evil proceeds from Christ's command in the gospel and from the unfathomable love that of that glorious King, every man's life is extremely short and God fervently commands the church to lead and call any man to repentance who is willing to repent. Christ mm. is eager and willing to forgive all who turn from their sins. This is the goal of all the efforts of the church in China, to testify to the world about our Christ, to testify yeah. to the middle kingdom about the kingdom of heaven, to testify to earthly momentary lives about heavenly eternal life. This is also the pastoral calling that I have received. Then he talks about the communist regime's persecution of the church. But he talks about, as a pastor, my disobedience is one part of the gospel commission. Christ's great commission requires us of us great disobedience. The goal of disobedience is not to change the world, but to testify about another world. And this is the point that I get to about Gathering Christian Christians who want to testify of an other cultural, other political reality that's not yeah. owned by anybody else except the Good. kingdom of God. 
And this, this, and so this is, this is, you know, I see these unfortunate events, this death of Jonathan Chow and this unfortunate incarceration of not just this pastor, but his wife as well. I see them starting to foment a conversation and Mm -hmm. bring together people who've been talking about these, these sorts of, um, ideals and these sorts of virtues that lead to a different kind of Christian perseverance than dominant Christianity in America has known. Uh, I would say that the African-American church has known it, but historically, and those who have, uh, who have sympathized with her. um, And like I said, ethical Europeans, ethical indigenous um, native Americans, blah, 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 all those folks, um, Hispanics, you know, you know, all those folks who are getting the concept that the rest of the world has clued into. And we're finally starting to get it. People are starting to have those conversations. This is where the fruit of deaths and incarcerations and misery, this is is the fruit. These people are seeds laid Mm -hmm. for us to flourish as more, as, as deeper Christians I believe so. I'm 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 mortified, but at the same time, I'm excited for this yeah. season for us as Christians in America. It's it's a it's a new day. There's a new conversation going on. That's good. Um, it's underground. It's under it's under the all the din that's going on above. It's underneath, and it's and it's circling, and it's it's going to bubble to the surface. I'm sure of it. And when it does, man, I want to be in the middle of it. That's good. That's very good. Yeah. yeah. One one last thought as I was thinking, um, I, I feel like you know, this this has served to kind of wake me up, but I know that the the culture that I'm in, the world that I'm in, it's just gonna be so easy at some point to maybe get lulled back to sleep, you know, yeah. just kind of go back into this the everyday grind of things. And mm-hmm. how would you suggest that you we just stoke the fire of missions even if we don't become missionaries to be concerned to be supportive in any way that we can to keep the great commission before us because we live in these two worlds and unfortunately i think that we can become caught up in civilian affairs right paul says you don't want to get caught up in civilian affairs but we very much do get caught up in civilian affairs and Mm -hmm. and of course we want to be in the world and care for the world but there's a point where that can actually even become worldly. Right. Um, and how, how do we keep that passion going? How would you suggest that we keep that going? Well, I'm not going to say that this is the way. Um, <laughs> I'm not that smart. Right. <laughs> but I will say this is a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always leery of people who are like, this is the way forward. And I'm like, it's <laughs> probably just a way. Um, mm-hmm. A way forward for me has been to listen to Christians in the hard places. And that means um, listening to global Christians, global Christians, but also the Christians on the margins in, um, in American society. And I, when I say the hard places, I mean the places where there is a force Excuse me. <clears throat> Where yeah. there's a force that is hostile towards gospel transformation mm. of individual lives and communities. So that could be that could be someone in the underground. That could be listening to stories from the global underground. That could be stories from India, 
China, um, North Korea, uh, you know, anywhere around the world. But it could also be people who are serving on the front lines in places where um, if this, if, if Dooney transforms into a Bible-believing Christian and begins to resist the impulses of the culture around him, I can guarantee you the guy who wants him to run drugs will try and kill you mm. because you've now cost him his livelihood. They, yeah. need, they need Dooney in the system, right, mm-hmm. to continue decimating the community. So they can get mm-hmm. their, to get the money. Um, it's the person that doesn't want to. It's the person who lives, who understands that there is a force against them that does not want them to experience the transformation that only Jesus Christ can bring. The transformation towards flourishing according to God's standards of how he sees us, how he created us to be. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I like to hang out with people um, who are people who are uh, in the middle of um, the drug crisis. I like to hang out with people who are in the middle of the gang territories. I like mm. to hang out with people who are in the middle of the opioid crisis. I like yeah. to hang out with the people who are working with people who are in despair, um, I, I, because they they even though it's not a legislated hostility towards Christianity, it is a, it's a, it's a force that is hostile towards gospel transformation. And that's the closest thing that we have mm-hmm. towards that, to that raw place where the underground lives. So that's for me, that's where I'm, I'm spending my time lately. That's and good. Yeah. That's, that's, there's just a lot to be learned. And they're, they're, they're generally not the folks on social media. They're not mm. the loud voices. They're, they're wow. just quietly doing the work of the kingdom. And you got to go find yeah. them. You got to yeah. go find them. But they understand better, I think, what it is to live on the edge of life and death. They understand what it is to live on the edge of yeah. um, the already and the not yet. That's good. Yeah, where the only hope they have is Christ. Yeah. It's yeah. good, man. I'm praying that God continues to wake us up, man. Those of us who have become comfortable. Thank you so much, Karen. Oh, wow. thank you, this Brian. really blessed me. I know that um, those who will get a chance to hear the interview will be certainly blessed by it. Um, so I thank you so much for just sharing your, your expertise. Um, Thanks for having us. me on, man. I appreciate it. And God bless the work you're doing. Keep going. Yeah, thank you. And God bless the work okay. you're doing. Can you say the website one more time for us? Sure. It's Christian Response, ChristianResponse.org. And if they want to follow you on social media, um, Twitter, where can yeah. they find you? They can find me at K underscore A underscore Ellis. And that's my Twitter handle. Great. Thank you so much, Karen. Appreciate right. it. God bless, man.